Success Movie Rewind. We're looking at movies through a personal development lens, seeing what we can learn. Here's your host, Alex Stevens. Hello, folks. Welcome to Success Movie Rewind. I'm your host, Alex Stevens, and this week we're talking about the Batman. We're talking about fear. We're talking about the fear of being yourself. We're talking about putting a mask on against fear. We're talking about the fear of becoming your mask, the fear of looking underneath your masks, the, how we relate to each other when we realize we're all masking something. And then we're going to talk about how we transcend the limitations of fear and the masks we wear to guard against it and how we finally reach out beyond them. And how do we do that, folks? In short, we must become the Batman. Not really. Just kidding. That felt like a cool sentence to say. Kind of the opposite point, though. Uh, One of the cool things about this movie, I feel like it really is success movie rewind because some people bemoan this, but in today's day and age, so many properties are kind of cultural retreads. All right. I like new stories as much as the next person. I wish we could do the movie The Last Duel on here. It was supposed to be a big blockbuster, but it didn't do well. And we want to make sure we're doing things that a lot of people see because we want to reach as many people as possible. This is a big tent production. So anyway, uh, I think we should make the best of the fact that we're watching sequel and remake after one after another after another. I love Batman, so I view it kind of like if you went to a comic book store, every month you're getting a Batman story from a different team of artists and writers. That's the same case here, except also with different musicians and uh, set designers and actors and cinematographers and things like that. What's not to be excited about if you're a Batman fan, unless they don't do a good job. They did do a good job here. Such a good job, folks. I'm going to give this movie uh, the Batman 2022 remake with Matt Reeves directing, starring Robert Pattinson as Batman, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman, Colin Farrell as the Penguin. I think those are the people who deserve the the top billing here. Uh, Go out and see it if you're on the fence. It's a great movie. But if you're unsure or if you're not going to see it either way, stick around. I've got a lot to consider here for everybody. So without further ado, let's get to our first clip. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. All right. So... One of the things we always see in Batman is how he deals with fear. Uh, The movie doesn't have to remind us at this point, but we all know as a reminder, in case you don't, if you've been living under a cultural rock or if you're new to Batman for whatever reason. Batman, of course, is a, a privileged orphan, so he's dealing with the pain of not having parents and having a basically a foster parent in the form of his butler, but also... Uh, He's like the richest person in his city, Gotham, which usually represents like a heightened reality of New York. Um, And so he uses his resources to either combat his tool, to impose or his fear, to impose his fear on other people, sometimes to run from it, sometimes to run to it. 
And so in this, in the trailer, we see that they're emphasizing that this Batman uses fear as a tool, uh, not just a call when the bat signal, when the light of the bat signal hits the sky. It's not just a call, it's a warning. And the movie does a good job. It's very evocative of the 90s animated series, if you recall that. Uh, their use of spotlights on Zeppelins, which was a cool like alternate reality of the 1940s Batman origin and like a, a world where zeppelins were you know like big balloon traveled air power was actually happening and they use spotlights in the title sequence every week and so the movie when it, it uses these lines it, it very effectively uses spotlights to show how if you're doing something in the shadows in the dark if you're a criminal you fear the light and so you're you're not just using the light as a call to say Batman and Lieutenant Gordon are going to meet up, but it's also a warning to criminals. But for our first takeaway this week, I want to say, folks, don't be too afraid of your fears, okay? Don't be too afraid of your fears. And so, respectfully to President Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt famously said, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. I can see how that was valuable in the Great Depression, but respectfully, I would say we should actually not be too afraid of fear. We're, we can't run from it. You can decide what you do with it almost always. Uh, we have involuntary, involuntary reactions to truly primally frightening scenes sometimes. Uh, I encountered a, a, a roadkill on the side of the road walking my dog this weekend and jumped back before I thought about it. But you cannot be too afraid of your fear. Uh, and so if I had broken down on the side of the road after involuntarily jumping back from a dead animal, we never would have gotten home. No progress can be made. You've got to assess rather than freaking out. Why was I so afraid? Ah, and, you know, running away or shutting down. You got to say, what was that? <sighs> Get yourself back together. Don't be too afraid of your fear. Your fear is your tool. It's uh, to, to re reverse Batman or to add nuance by rephrasing, I would say it's not just a warning. Fear is very much a warning. It's a biological part of our biological apparatus to alert us to danger uh, and sometimes to take over actually who's driving the car so that we can get out of danger with enough time to ascertain what's going on. So I'm not saying we should eliminate fear or you should beat yourself up if you find yourself fearing fear or feeling fear, excuse me. Um, one of my favorite lines in the, the Song of Ice and Fire, Game of Thrones, some of the finest literature of our time, in my opinion, is uh, Ned Stark telling his kids that, that fear is not just an opportunity to be brave. It's really the only time you can be brave. That's what bravery is. It's, it's overcoming fear. So to do that, you can't run from it. It doesn't mean that you should always not care about it, that you should ignore fear but you can't be afraid of it. It's, it is a tool, but you should use your own fear as a tool, not just a warning. Sometimes it's a call to go beyond it. Sometimes it's a call to respond to it. But either way, you've got to look it right in the eye to figure out what you should do for your fear. You can't be too afraid of it. When I started as an attorney, I started at a, a big law firm in Dallas, and we had like an orientation and the person who founded the firm 
uh, Mike Boone. The firm's name is Haynes and Boone. It's a cool story. It grew from like a two-person firm to a hundreds and hundreds of lawyers worldwide kind of firm, which it was by the time I got there. And so it was cool to get trained on your first day from someone who literally had the experience of taking a vision from a, a two-man operation into hundreds, maybe, maybe more than hundreds, if you count staff supporting attorneys, which you need to count when you look at how big a law firm is. Uh, anyway, my point is, even at that level where this guy really doesn't need to ever see an office again, not only is he coming in every day with his suit and attending to business, but uh, he's seeing to it that he's welcoming and kind of setting a tone for everybody who's setting foot as an attorney in the office because every new clerk or attorney comes in from every office early uh, to a central location to make sure that there's a cohesive culture. Prioritizing that was very impressive. And so one of the things they told us was, uh, I really, this really stuck out with me, but he was like, you, you still, in some ways, we have to be very confident for our clients because they're dealing with something that they're afraid of. That's why they're paying us. They're paying us to deal with these scary legal consequences that they're trying to avoid or to these visions, these tricky visions that they're trying to execute in very tricky regulatory landscapes. Um, so you have to know your stuff, but the way you do that is you have to embrace your fear of getting it wrong and the way that you remain competitive in an increasingly competitive marketplace is not to ignore your fear that somebody's coming for uh, your clients or for your business. You have to embrace that and use that as fuel. And I, I was really taken aback because this guy was really being very candid and saying, like, I lie awake at night or in the morning and I just think about the people who want what we have and what we're doing. And, you know, we're trying to build on it, but I'm afraid that people are going to come and, and try to outwork us. And so I get up every morning and I use that. And I really liked that because it doesn't say get rid of your fear. There's an old expression from an old book, feel the fear and do it anyway. But I think we can go even beyond that and do it because of the fear. Use the fear. Uh, the, the fear is not just a nuisance. It's, it's fuel. Um, and often we say we're fueled by other things, but you can usually frame things in terms of a fear uh, if you want to. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I think another very useful way of using fear as a tool, your own fear as a tool. I don't like Batman's use of other people's fears as motivators usually. People are afraid enough. You can help them overcome that. You should do that if you can, rather than seeking to increase other people's fear. That's Batman's journey. I don't want to give away too much. But uh, asking yourself, what am I afraid could go wrong? What could go wrong with the plan I'm drawing out? And how am I going to deal with that? It's like you can lose your breath just thinking about that. It's scary when you're trying to execute on your dreams. How could this go wrong? But that's the way you make your fear a tool. Because often the answer will, will hit you right away. And that's when you know that's the problem you need to focus on solving. So again, your fear can be a tremendous tool. But not if you're afraid of it. So we got to be more brave than Franklin Roosevelt, which will be tough, but I think we can do it. All right, folks, let's take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about our second quote. Welcome back, folks. 
talking about the Batman here on Success Movie Rewind. Folks, our second takeaway before we get to the clip, I'm going to lead off with it. Don't let your mask become a cage, okay? Batman's journey is always going to explore how he integrates his identities of Bruce Wayne and the Batman. That's why I said that at the beginning of this episode, uh, we must become the Batman. Uh, that's usually there's some sort of line like that in a Batman origin story in the Batman year one comic from the 80s by Frank Miller that has kind of a foundational modern rework of Batman's origin as well as his relationship with Catwoman that I would say is the primary inspiration for Catwoman in this movie. It's got uh, one of the issues. It's only four issues. I'll check it out. If you think, many people say it's the height of what superhero comics are about. Tastes vary as always, but it's pretty good. It's only four issues, but there's like a climatic scene where he's like, I must become the bat. But one of the cool things about this movie is it's very paradoxical Zoe Kravitz, as a woman of color and Catwoman, does have a speech where she's like, yo, Bruce Wayne, rich white man, there's a lot more to the world than your perspective. Your consciousness has blind spots. You're missing out on things. I have a different perspective than you. The world has not been as kind to me as it has to you in many ways, even though you're an orphan. But it also says, paradoxically, the, one of the ways that Bruce needs to overcome that is to more fully embrace not just his obsessive interest in being the creature of the night, the Batman, you know, not like in Batman Year One, the comic, where he must become the bat or uh, we must become the knight or whatever. He's doing that. He's dressing up like the crow, basically, which is sick. But he also is like the richest guy in Gotham. That can do a lot, too. Uh, but Bruce is running from his identity. He's running from his mask. And... Uh, he's running from the way the world sees him when he's Bruce. And that's a cool journey for Bruce to go on. And in many ways, his money insulates him from it and also makes him like a heightened fantasy version of the struggle we all deal with. And so our second clip gets to the main villain of this movie, the Riddler, and his mission to show the people of Gotham through almost like a sadistic, torturous puzzle game putting people's lives at risk, of course, and ultimately the fate of the city. This is a very cool escalation of his various riddle tricks. But let's listen to our clip to hear about what it's really about. I'm just here to unmask the truth about this cesspool we call a city. You're part of this too. Hands up! Stay still! How am I part of this? Oh, you're really not as smart as I thought you were. So the Riddler is seeking to unmask the truth about the cesspool. So he's already, we see, he's getting right to what the city would rather not be. He's saying, he's almost like the penguin in Batman Returns. He's in the sewers. He's in the abject, at the border of conceptually what the city even represents. And he's saying, like, he's the refuse of Gotham in many ways. And he has an online following of fellow disenfranchised, downtrodden uh, keyboard internet warriors. You know, folks, I'm not really a proponent of this kind of internet discourse. I was actually looking up one of the screen line handles of one of, in the movie when they have like a chat room when the Riddler is doing one of his live streams. Different people have different names. It's pretty funny. I was watching it in an AMC theater, 
And one of the screen names is Hold the Line 81. And to me, that immediately recalled the movie The Joker, which is the most recent one, the 2019 one with Joaquin Phoenix, which is set in 1981 and, of course, uses on-screen words to great effect, which is something I, I really like when movies do that. And I actually think I was reading the Vox.com review of The Batman by Alyssa Wilkinson, who is, one, I think, one of the best film critics out there. But respectfully, I think she got the Joker completely wrong. She kind of contrasts this version of the Batman with the Joker by saying the Joker really has no moral center, unlike the Batman. And I would agree behaviorally, but I think she's missing the point a little bit with the Joker because the movie, to me, makes the point that the Joker kind of clings onto his I-don't-believe-in-anything nihilism that he arrives at as a liberatory force to get out of his mask because he doesn't want his mask to become a cage. I think it's a very normal thing. And the Joker has a lot of cool imagery with like banging your head against a glass wall and is it a barrier or window or not. Um, but in the end, he, I think he, he like holds that nihilistic line when he stands, spoiler alert for the now three-year-old Joker, uh, or two and a half, I guess, when he stands on the taxi cab and repaints on his Joker face using kind of his injuries and his blood and his makeup uh, and goes back to the Joker in sort of like a Christologic, or, you know, like a Christ-like Im image. Uh, but it, to me, it rings hollow and it's sad and it's, it echoes the beginning of the film where he's also, as a professional clown, kind of manipulating his face rather than feeling his actual feelings. And so I agree, he becomes, his behavior does ring hollow, but the film is using that absence to contrast it with what I was, I knew it wouldn't happen because he had to become the Joker, but I was hoping, you know, still that the, the Arthur Fleck was going to overcome that and maybe take his, his new followers, his new Joker followers to something more transcendent, more powerful. But instead, once again, he let this new identity become a cage. And so uh, I think that contrast is very important. There's a difference between uh, depicting a morally hollow character and offering a morally hollow message. And so I do think this movie draws a contrast, but I think the Joker has a strong moral heart about letting your identity become a cage or not. And Bruce is able to get past that by not clinging to the Batman anymore, but by, again, ironically somewhat turning back around to the identity he's fled from, but this time using it to do more than maybe what the society has told him Bruce Wayne is, which is a wealthy, spoiled, privileged playboy, which I get because although I am not the richest person in my city, I am in many ways a, a privileged person. Uh, the reason this Batman resonates for me is because I am also a middle-aged white man uh, watching Batman being depicted by one. And so like, like Bruce Wayne in this movie, I have a lot to learn. And it can feel frustrating uh, when society reduces you to your identity and to the harmful parts of it. But that's when you have to assume people are onto something. When someone's telling you something about yourself that hurts, I like to have a working assumption that there's truth in it uh, and that that truth will help you. You need that second part because otherwise it's just scary and it hurts. Uh, but to, to say that let's explore the truth and let's become bigger than what I am right now 
let's look at the fact that whatever this person is throwing at me is in some ways a response and a reaction to, to me. So that's good data to know how I move through the world. Uh, to me, that is how you get bigger than your mask. That's how you learn, well, this is what I'm putting out right now. Maybe I have blind spots. Uh, maybe the thing that's upsetting me right now is actually a part of me. So that's where I, I like this clip so much because I think the Riddler's blind spot that's imposed by his fear and his identity as the, the puzzle master who knows more uh, in, and who is going to show the city this horrible truth is, of course, the horrible truth is what he's afraid of inside himself. He's got his own backstory. He's like a perverse Bruce Wayne who hasn't had the privilege and who resents the world as a result. And he wants the world to see that ugliness that he's felt. And so although he's chiding Bruce Wayne for not realizing his part in the dark, dark side of the city, uh, of course, the Riddler uh, is overlooking a lot of that himself. And that's part of how Bruce is able to combat the Riddler's nefarious plans. So again, I think part of not letting your mask become a cage is being aware that all masks, all identities, who you present to the world is always going to have blind spots, both in how you perceive the world and how you are perceived. And so you have to work within it. And only then can you work beyond your mask. And one of the very cool things in this movie, I think, one of the points that it underscores by emphasizing characters other than Bruce, especially Catwoman, is as she moves through the night, the criminal element nightclub world that often places women in danger, she is able to use what men that are often referred to by weaker, more vulnerable women as very powerful men uh, in a way that kind of subdues them and puts them at ease and makes them share information uh, or plans that they otherwise would not. That's a good example of letting your mask become a tool uh, rather than a cage. Now, it's still not ideal because she's there in the first place, but uh, rather than running from that identity, uh, working within it, being alert to the dangers of it, in a way that Bruce is not. I mean, there's a scene where Catwoman has to basically explain to Bruce, if I look at a man for too long, he's going to come up and approach me in a way that's going to potentially create a distraction from our mission, which of course she is right about that because that's the world she has to live in. Bruce's privilege has precluded him from seeing that that potential even exists, even as he's kind of depending on Catwoman's access that he does not have. So in, in a way, she's trapped by her identity as an attractive woman who is there to kind of be hit on. But in a way, she's able to use it. And you know, we are rooting for her as an audience, I think, to, to get beyond it and hopefully to bring Bruce with her. But of course, some of that's up to Bruce. And that'll bring us to our next quote. How do we get beyond our masks, folks? How do we get beyond our fear? How do we unmask or use our masks even when it's scary? How do we get beyond just this, this fakeness that we sometimes see? How do we become more than what the world sees us as and more than even what we know ourselves to be and become who we're meant to be? 
My third takeaway from Batman is an answer, or a way of stating an answer. Of course, I, I won't pretend to have the answer, but maybe this will help you on your path. I can't tell you exactly what values to have, but I am very confident in saying that you cannot transcend your personal problems without transpersonal values, okay? That's our third takeaway. You cannot transcend personal problems without transpersonal values. So let's hear our third clip. It can be cruel, poetic, or blind, but when it's denied, it's your violence you may find. Justice. The answer's justice. Come on, vengeance. Let's get into some trouble. All right, so the reason I wanted to listen to this clip is the contrast between the search for vengeance and the search for justice. Batman, in many properties over the years, refers to himself as an agent of vengeance for his parents, seeking to turn fear against those who wield it on the weak. Uh, but of course, that is a way of dealing with his own fears and his own feelings of weakness and powerlessness at having lost in the irreplaceable the love of your parents. And in a way, Bruce Wayne resonates with all of us because we're missing that. And that feels that the world does feel that it's not a perfectly just place, at least to me. Get on the internet, get on Twitter. You'll see people complaining and they're, they, it's almost satisfying when the complaints are, don't seem to have a reason. That feels better because you can dismiss it. The really messed up thing is millions of people have valid complaints every day about the horrors that the world visits upon them. And almost always that involves violence and that involves a blind spot where justice has been denied. Justice is a sense that the world is in balance, that there's the right and wrong and things tilt towards being right. And when they don't, we will try to rebalance them so that they do. Uh, it's, a uni it's a drive towards universality and a world that we can all live in in good faith that we are making the world better for the people we care about. Vengeance, on the other hand, I think can fairly be defined, or it has to be defined, in some sense in a more personal dimension. You're not seeking to necessarily set the world aright, you're seeking to right a wrong that befell you. But in seeking to redo or undo what people, perpetrators did, which they shouldn't have done in the first place, it's easy to miss because of your blind spots. It's easy to go too far and become a perpetrator yourself. And I will tell you, certainly in any case in which you are acting on someone who represents a wrong that was done. In other words, where it's not a trial or a business dispute or a, even a competition or whatever, it doesn't have to be your parents were murdered by criminals. Um, but when something in the past affected you and you're taking it out on someone in the present, there's a blind spot and you may be denying justice in that. You may be imposing injustice or violence in a way that you don't realize that someone else uh, is going to need to break the cycle for because you are failing to. And so I like that Catwoman kind of says, or not kind of, she does say, come on vengeance, let's get into trouble because she does offer Bruce more. She offered, there's a romantic interest always with Bruce and Catwoman, Selena Kyle, I should say. And uh, that's trouble for vengeance. He's got to become more than that. 
And the movie does a cool job of really showing Batman's journey from a, a, fe- a light of fear, you know, using the, the bat signal and the light of the helicopters uh, to remind us that fear is a tool uh, and that criminals can fear the light to becoming a, a figure of hope that can even be outside in the daylight sometimes. And Catwoman's a big part of that. And to do that, you've got to open up more. You've got to get beyond the mask. You've got to open yourself to relating to other people because that's really how we know who we are. That's how we find out who we are. And that's how we grow and change. It's in relation to the world and in relation to other people. Frank Herbert, the writer of Dune, which we discussed last week, made the point that in a way, the the world that you see is the mask that the universe is using to present itself to you. And even though we're still a part of that world, and that can be unnerving because you can start to wonder if we're just a mask and if there's anything, or if there's like a what Joyce Carol Oates called the core of impersonality within us all, which can be scary to behold. But the way that we figure out what's in those voids and literally the way we define what all of this means is how we relate to each other, the transpersonal. For me, the ultimate value, and I think there's, I, it's part of my faith. I can't fully explain it to everyone's satisfaction, but I do think it comes down to love, which is uh, a way of saying we should be relating to each other, helping each other grow. Um, and sometimes becoming a hero, sometimes looking to a hero. Uh, I definitely Googled best mask quotes before this episode, full disclosure. And I can't confirm, I couldn't find the source that confirms that Will Smith actually said this, but you know I'm a huge Will Smith head, so I believe he has this wisdom. And according to the internet, he said that because I know that hope and fear are connected, I put my mask of hope on. And I love that because it's, it's such a, a tie-in of everything we've talked about this week. Hope in many ways is saying, let's go beyond fear. Uh, and the, way that you can, the only way that you can say that is in relation to the world and in relation to other people. Even if it's a hope that you're going to, your situation is going to change or that you can be more than you are. Um, it's a ma- it can be a mask for yourself. It can be a mask for other people. But... Those kinds of bigger picture stories of hope and love and and changing the actual way we relate in the now can not only change the future by changing the paths we're walking on, but it can have a kind of retroactive effect that can never undo the tragedies of the past. Bruce's parents are not coming back. That's, if you believe, depending on what you believe, that's for another realm or another kind of consideration altogether. But what you do with that energy today, just like your fear, just like your, your body and the masks it provides you in the present, that's, that can add nuance and, and add so much more depth of meaning to those tragedies of the past that they can become something new. And you can literally, like again, time travel, I feel like we talk about a lot, Uh, to the past, not to change what actually happened, but to fully flip its meaning. And I think love has the power to do that. And that's what these stories are about. And so again, that's why as our third takeaway and our concluding note, 
Transcend your personal problems with transpersonal values. That's what Batman's all about. Hopefully that's what Bruce Wayne is learning to do. And I hope we can all do that this week. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. That's a wrap. If you like what you hear, leave a five-star review and tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.